Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. And today I have with us Sean Evans, the founder and CEO of My Wine Society. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Justin. So, Sean, tell us about My Wine Society, because I'm sure everyone's not quite sure what that means. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, My Wine Society is a mobile platform, iOS, Android, and web. Um, and we've been live on the App Store for about five months, but we really um, you know, went to market to kind of test just beginning uh, Jan, Jan 1 of this year. And um, we are a social engagement platform for the global wine community aimed at connecting um, all levels of wineries, you know, small mom and pop operations all the way to large scale wineries uh, to the next generation of wine drinker, you know, the new millennial and digital age consumer that lives, you know, through their phone mostly when consuming information and making purchases. And so how did you come up with the concept and how did you get to have this idea that you should connect people through wine uh, on socially? Yeah. So um, I worked in management consulting for a little over 10 years, um, mostly helping small cap companies that had been in business for a few years on scaling their operations um, or, you know, getting broader reach for their brand and for their products and services. And through that process, obviously, you know, living through the evolution of uh, the mobile and digital um, app space and the amount of time, you know, people are spending in their phones. I had been approached by a number of wineries, uh, my family, my aunt and uncle and cousins own a winery up in Northern California. Um, and through that and through growing up in Northern California, I had a number of different connections in the wine space. So I was being approached by wineries um, around how they could better connect to the next generation of wine drinkers. And wineries and winemakers are an interesting bunch. They're, they're typically skewed towards farmers, right? So um, their interest is in farming the land and making really good wine for everyone to drink and not necessarily in um, the day-to-day business operations or, you know, how to connect on Instagram. Um, so learning that process, being in management consulting was really fun and being approached by wineries on how to um, scale their business and connect to the next generation uh, was something that I was already working on and working with clients in that space. And then one of my good friends um, approached me as a partner in a new um, white label app company called Skylab. And they were looking for um, proven operators to help take their technology to market in different spaces. Uh, so after you know a few months of discussions with them and being excited about um, the opportunity to skip the tech development phase and kind of go straight to building a team and, and raising funds and going to market, uh, we decided to enter into business together. And when, you know, when they asked what business should we go into, wine was a natural choice. There wasn't a social engagement app currently for wine. All of them, you know, fell into this scan rate purchase category. And, um, and, you know, wine is an affluent industry in nature. It's got a global reach. Uh, and they typically, you know, need, a, need uh, solutions 
to live in the mobile space anyway. And so it just all seemed like a perfect uh, kind of synergy of opportunity and experience. So that being said, how, um, how do you engage um, the potential user of your software and, and what do they get from using it? And what is it that you hope they're, they're taking away from it? And how do the wine companies then get, is it, are you providing information back to them and data? So how does all of that work in, in the service that you provide? Yeah, definitely. So that's a big uh, question. Uh, many layers of that answer, but I'll start with the winery partners specifically. So um, our app has a number of different uh, places internal where the winery is represented. One of those is called our places listings. It's a global directory for wineries. It's it's been we've been building it for months now. It's actually billed as the largest global directory of wineries in the world, um, but it's exclusive to our app. So one of the cool things for uh, one of the cool things for our winery partners that maintain their listing um, in quote unquote places, um, they have exclusive access to uh, the users of our platform. So when users are searching Barcelona or Napa um, and there's only going to be certain wineries that pop up and those are our verified wineries, the wineries that have taken the time to uh, respond to our, you know, our emails or phone calls and go through the process of verifying their listing to sure and their information is correct, et cetera, et cetera. And then those wineries in turn receive uh, monthly reports back on user analytics, uh, behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one solution for the wineries. Um, another solution is um, wineries can actually act as advertisers or sponsors on the platform by sponsoring different areas or having story mentions. And that, again, increases their exposure to uh, the usership. Um, and then the last piece, which is not rolled out yet, but we're still in development of and we're really excited about is a mobile CRM solution for wineries to manage their fan base. So you asked one of the ways we get users, we offer wineries um, a unique place within the platform where they can tell their story, communicate with their wine club members and fans and and have offer them a, a mobile solution for engagement with the winery. And then obviously we encourage our winery partners to um, communicate out to their existing email lists and in their tasting room and uh, that they should download my wine society and engage with them in that way. And there's real time updates and they can discuss things with the winemaker, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so in that respect, you know, we offer a number of different solutions for wineries to, you know, ensure that they're reaching our audience <clears throat> from a usership standpoint, the entire platform is gamified, meaning, um, when users are on the platform and they're either tracking their tasting notes, planning their journey, searching for wineries, reading a, a content from any of our uh, 200 plus content providers, um, they are rewarded for all of those behaviors on the platform. And a lot of those rewards are tied to any of our hundreds of uh, corporate sponsorships that we've been spending the last, last um, you know, year building. And those include... You know, anything from as small as, you know, a 10% um, discount code that they can follow through through our app and, you know, make a purchase with discounted purchase or up to, you know, free nights stay at partner hotels around the world. Um, so from a user standpoint, <clears throat> you know, they're going on the app, they're learning about different um, uh, 
lifestyle, travel, food, uh, wine related content and reading that content, tracking their, uh, planning their trip, tracking their journey through wine country. And then they're being rewarded for all of those things that they're already, they already would be doing, but now they're getting access to all of these great corporate sponsorships that we've, uh, accumulated. So it's great because nowhere on the platform does a user feel like they're being advertised to. They they simply feel like they're being rewarded for their behavior. And it, it actually builds a ton of brand loyalty for our corporate partners as well. I, I love that it's almost like the adventure that goes along with it. It's like, because today's the kids that are coming up, I mean, I watched all of Denver run around with their cell phones following Pokemons around when that Pokemon app came in. But if you can do it with with wine and, and something that people like to do also and, and gamify it and reward people, I think that's huge because people enjoy it anyway, but it also gives them a reason to do it and compete with their friends. And also not only that, get something in return uh, that they can use, like you said, for hotels and things like that. So there's massive benefits there for the wineries who as individuals can't do something this like this or afford it. But when combined together, they have economies of scale to do something like this. And so are you finding that there is a lot of interest in the wineries to, to participate in programs like this? Yeah. You know, it's um, what's been really great is we, we tested the product globally over the last six months. Um, we chose a few regions in which I already had um, existing business relationships. I still work in the consulting space quite a bit as well. Um, so we tested it in um, Barcelona, Perth, um, Cape Town, South Africa, uh, a few places in France, um, and then Canada. Um, and then obviously really heavily on the West coast of the United States. So Napa, central coast, Temecula, even the Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico. And, uh, you know, what we found is that wineries are really eager to, uh, to be involved in something like this, where they feel like we're taking the brunt of the work of connecting to the next generation away from them and, and giving them a, a place where um, they can tell their story and be received by um, you know, by the new buyers of wine around the world. So they were really receptive. We had over 500 winery partners globally um, in the first four months, just testing the product for us. Um, we were now transitioning to an interesting part of the company's um, lifespan where we're going into the second round of funding with a couple of institutional level, you know, VC partners. And this is where it gets really fun, where we've, built the team we've tested the product we understand what both the consumer and the wineries are looking for and now we're you know bringing in that next tranche of funding to actually go to market and and start bringing in some revenue so um so yeah there was a long way of saying that the initial uh winery acceptance has been broad and and really easy um and now we're we've kind of paused all of those engagements as we ramp up to go to revenue in certain markets well, and I want to quick introduce Deborah because she just walked into the studio, my co-host and significant other and business partner. So hello, Deborah. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good. And so I'll introduce Sean and, and Deborah. How are you guys? I'm good. Sean, nice meeting you. And um, I've been able to hear um, most of what's been talked about so far. But just to get up to speed a little bit, I wanted to gain a little bit better understanding. So is your primary client the the winery? 
Um, and then their clients and their followers can work through them on this platform, or is it ever like who's? Maybe you can explain that a little bit because I didn't quite capture who your client is. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, the the app was built to connect wineries to wine drinkers and give wineries a place to tell their story. Um, to the new digital mobile audience and to give users a place to track their journey and be rewarded for it. So, you know, I'd say we walk a fine line on an ongoing basis of, um, and this is one thing we've spent the last six months doing and testing is um, making changes and iterations to the platform that are wineries centric and help them get their story out there. Um, but then also we've got a side of the company that's always focused on the UI UX and how is the end user being rewarded and engaging and, you know, are we throwing too much information at them at once or, um, or not enough? So, um, you know, so our main, our main two connection points are telling the winery story to the end user and then rewarding them for consuming that story and tracking their, um, journeys et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, um, I love so the those part, would probably be- I loved how you were talking about the gaming side of it. Um, cause obviously gaming goes a long way with the younger generations, but not only that, I think it's a great platform because no one really likes to be advertised to anymore. And so it's inadvertently a way to get advertising in without people really feeling that way. So I, I really love that component in your, in your model. Yeah. And you know, that was a that was a um, built in component from Skylab, um, our tech partner that really they kind of hit the nail on the head with the fact that, um, you know, those crazy pop up screens with the tiny X's that you can't get out of and you end up accidentally clicking into the ad. <laughs> that's just so frustrating, right. you know, from a user experience. So but conversely. You know, if you track an action or have a certain type of behavior within a platform and then you're rewarded for it by a badge popping up saying, congratulations, you just reached another milestone as a user. You know, even if those badges don't carry with them any kind of physical prize, they're just a virtual high five. It's still that little shot of um, dopamine that makes you excited about staying on the platform and engaging. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. It's actually funny. We've talked about the dopamine spike on on one of the podcasts and the what social media has done for that for people so it sounds like the the reward is definitely there so how you mentioned south africa and deborah and i have been there in cape town and and like the wines there so just shout out to that area um and not many people do like south african wines but we thought they were incredible and but yeah french oak and all those areas we love it actually we have a we have a regional coordinator out there um, that I'll give a little plug to, um, her la- name's Leanne Beatty and she's actually, um, got a great, uh, presence on our platform and on Instagram as Cape town wine girl. And, um, she contributes to both equally now, which is nice. She was really heavy on Instagram. Um, but she's, uh, she's on a journey to visit all 804 wineries in Cape town, um, so she's checking them all off. She's on 106 now, I think. <laughs> wow, that's that's quite a a big <laughs> a big project. 
And so how do you find these people out there just because you've worked with them before? And as you mentioned, and you had um, connections in that area or I mean, are you just reaching out over social media and people respond and how do you, how are you putting together that team? Yeah. So, you know, we knew we wanted to test internationally because obviously every market is different and we've learned a lot of lessons, things that, um, are so intuitive to the American consumer and work really well over here have just been complete flops in other um, countries and vice versa. So stuff that's worked really well in Cape Town or in Barcelona, you know, we've tried to, to test over here and the, the American consumer just doesn't respond at all to it. So um, knowing that we wanted to, you know, immediately test globally, uh, we kind of, assigned a, a, one of our um, gals in house to put out, you know, dream job, um, wine app seeking a brand ambassador locally to coordinate a region. And, and you put that out on Instagram and you're obviously going to get a ton of uh, responses because um, everyone wants a dream job in the wine industry. So we got, you know, we got a ton of responses and then they would vet people in certain target areas and um, and reach out to them on different platforms for either content providers or for um, or for regional coordinator positions, et cetera. So we've got content providers from Germany, um, the Netherlands, like I said, South Africa, all that. And it, a lot of it's been through um, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and just reaching out and educating them on what we're doing and, and then seeing where they kind of fit into the puzzle. I, I think that's amazing. And I'm just learning this because it's new to me, but people actually really respond to direct message and reaching out to them on, on Instagram and Facebook. And that's how, you know, we initially started recruiting people on this podcast. Uh, now it's kind of people coming to us as much as we are recruiting other people, but I was shocked that it actually worked and how many people actually respond and use that as their outlet to communicate. And so I think that's awesome that you brought that up. And I think from the entrepreneurs listening to the show that aren't using that to reach out to people or or build business relationships, it's definitely a resource. And um, the other point I want to say while I'm on here for sure is that how do how do the wineries uh, get a hold of you guys to be on your platform? Is it something they go onto your website? Uh, and what is that website and your social media handles while we're talking about it? But how do they get onto your platform? Definitely. So I'll, I'll tell you, we, we actually had an exciting turn in the company um, about three months ago, I want to say, um, just before Christmas. Maybe because it was the holidays and harvest was over. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, initially it had been us reaching out to wineries and requesting that they participate in testing the platform for us. And then um, about three months ago, we started having wineries contacting us on Instagram and on uh, through our website, which are both uh, My Wine Society. So mywinesociety.com and our our social handles are at my wine society. Um, but I still remember that day, actually we had two, oddly enough, we had two separate people in the company get contacted, one through Instagram and one through our website. 
that uh, from two separate wineries in two separate regions. Um, so whatever we had done posted on, about that day, it really got some traction. But since then, we've had a number of um, wineries reach out to us to to be a part of the app and help test. And we've actually we've actually paused that engagement um, because of the place we're at in our company right now. We are building the team to go to revenue, and we really can't take on any more wineries at this point until we've fully vetted that process. And so from there, um, how you monetize it, I guess, would be the, is one of the questions. It's not monetized through the consumers using it. It's monetized through the advertisements that the wineries put on there. So for the wineries, they get the ability to directly market and advertise their products versus some of the social other social media outlets out there now, which is you can kind of directly market, but it's more of putting out a broad marketing campaign and you're not even sure the person actually drinks wine or is interested in wine. So for, for your platform, it's a direct marketing to the consumers who obviously are interested in wine is, is, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that um, is really compelling for, our advertisers is exactly what you just said is it, you know, you can uh, uh, spray and pray on Facebook, you know, and you can try to do some direct targeting. Um, but for the most part, it's, you know, it's difficult in traditional advertising and, and even on Facebook still with our targeting to ensure that you're getting a hundred percent wine enthusiasts. If that's the target demo that you're going for, obviously on a wine app, um, you know, you're guaranteed that everyone that's viewing your your brand is a wine lover. So, um, so yeah, a large portion of our revenue uh, eventually is going to be um, from that sponsorship and advertising space, and it's going to be everything from um, from wine brands to luxury brands. So, <clears throat> you know, a, a company like Hilton that has properties all over the world, and especially in all wine regions. It's going to be really attractive for them. Luxury brands like Rolex and um, brands like that, it's obviously going to be really attractive. And that's the great thing about wine consumers and why I went into the space um, was <clears throat> it's a consumer that's typically affluent and typically likes to travel and likes to experience, you know, the finer things in life. So um, the the goal, the, the conscious choice was that it would be an attractive um, demo for you know, advertisers like that. <clears throat> and then there's a number of other ways in which we um, monetize. The wineries obviously pay for their listing on the platform, similar to uh, paying for a Yelp, a, a, you know, a verified Yelp business listing, um, which our places list, uh, a guide has launched with a lot of success with wineries billing it, you know, as such. Um, and then there are a few affiliate merchant um purchases that users uh, do within the app, as well as um, some in-app purchases that we'll eventually be rolling out. But, you know, at the end of the day, the the advertising sponsorship opportunity is going to trump that once we've got, um, you know, enough eyeballs to warrant that spend. So from a consumer standpoint, I mean, I'm. it sounds like it's um, this is a good 
application for people who are sophisticated wine buyers, but it is, is it also uh, friendly for people who say, let's, you've got a couple who wants to go to Napa for an anniversary or a group of girls going for a bachelorette party or like, is it friendly to the whole spectrum of people who would maybe want to go visit wineries? Yeah, definitely. I mean, to, to be honest with you, the, the app is more geared toward the casual wine drinker um, that wants to, you know, track their, um, their wine that they brought, bought at Trader Joe's and they're pairing it with a nice home cooked steak. Um, so that's, uh, that's what the app is built for is that next generation average wine consumer. There's a bunch of um, content pointed at Wine 101 and the easiest ways to pair the right food and wine. You know, all of those things that uh, um, that people want to learn really quickly and then, you know, sound somewhat educated at a dinner party. Um, there are more uh, wine-centric, you know, sophisticated elements to the app as well for those non-casual wine enthusiasts that really want to, you know, get granular with their knowledge. Uh, <clears throat> but I will say it's, it's, it, the platform's built for, you know, the, the everyday wine drinker for sure in terms of content consumption, tracking, sponsored, you know, uh, rewards, all that. And what about also like wineries as a venue? Like lots of times people host events there. Is that, is that a good use of your platform as well? Or you don't get into that territory? Yeah. So what's funny is we actually have an entire live events division um, in our company. And part of our, um, part of our give back to the wineries early on that we're testing the platform for us and we're a part of, you know, its development is we actually would throw um, little organic uh, test parties at the host winery and try to drive business to them and not just sales on site, but also new wine club members and all that. So as part of our testing strategy over the last six months, uh, we hosted um, a, a dozen different events at um, winery partners and, and help drive business directly to them and expose uh, you know new eyeballs to their establishment and uh and then within the platform itself you know the user has the opportunity to uh to take video and record um you know pictures and elements of their experience at the winery so that we're actually showcasing the different partner wineries um to our audience yeah i think that's great i mean i've been to some events at wineries and i've also just gone for sheer fun. But I mean, every single one I've ever been to is just amazing and unique and has, you know, different things to offer. And so, I mean, I can imagine hosting an event at, a, at one of those, you know, would be amazing. It'd be beautiful. But, you know, it's like, how does someone know that without having to travel all over? But if you got to see it in one place, it'd be a lot easier to kind of scroll through and be like, okay, this is kind of the size I'm looking for the, you know, indoor, outdoor, whatever it is you're looking for. But so that's a really cool component that, um, to hear that that exists. Yeah, definitely. And we've, we actually have partnered with a few, um, a few existing companies that offer that kind of concierge self, uh, service and are leveraging our platform as a way to have a broader reach for their service. And then we've got a um, division of our company that is 
working on a more um, a more robust concierge style trip planning service where, like you just said, you could say, hey, I've got six people. We want to spend, you know, medium dollars. We want to have this booking and we want to stay at two nights at a hotel. And, you know, our app does the little boop, bop, beep, bop and it's out of trip so that's that's definitely coming down the pipeline. And so you mentioned your staff and and people that work for you. How have you basically you, you're a startup and and while the the software in the software is there and you have the platform, how did you then recruit the people and find the people to work for you and then make sure you had the right people and what were you looking for when you started to build your company? Yeah, that's that's really um, interesting. So, I I had an existing staff um, for you know a boutique management consulting operation, and um, so in the beginning, you know, partnering with the tech firm and then having that existing uh, organizational staff that was used to working with me made the start of this really easily because I had the business staff kind of already there, and then I had the tech team um, attached to the project. Um, since then, and as we've grown, uh, we kind of joke internally because we've got a few key people that were there early on um, that every time we, you know, have a need for a new employee to, to do X, Y, or Z, typically not even really related to the wine industry. Like we need someone to manage our social media accounts, which you don't really have to have a ton of wine knowledge to do that. Um they they come from this friend pool of uh, our family pool. We've got one. One of my employees has been with me since almost the beginning. She was the first ever wine influencer that we co- that I contacted just to do a Q and A with her and get an idea of how the wine influencer world was working. Um, and since then, she's worked her way up the ladder kind of within our company. And we now employ all three of her sisters as well in different capacities. So. Uh, so it's an interesting answer to your question. It's it's kind of turned into a family affair, even though we have, um, I think last count was we have 24 employees in the company. So, wow. um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's been interesting. It's kind of been all referral based, to be honest. <clears throat> um, so I want to switch gears here a little bit because I have an interest in, I mean, hearing everything that this platform does, it's pretty diverse. And I've only a little bit had to deal with websites and whatnot, but I definitely know it was a lot of work, even kind of creating remedial type stuff and working with a company who basically does it, just outlining it for them, handing it over. It was definitely tricky. And so yours is really multifaceted from like being able to plan trips, visit different venues, having articles, like it's all over the place. And so how did you one pick the person who was going to help you design this and kind of maybe you could help the audience in case they're trying to create a website or whatnot, give some learning lessons or tips that you got through that whole process um, as to what you did. Yeah, definitely. So I, one thing that I have always um, kind of tried to be really good at and has really benefit benefited me along the way and benefited my clients as well is I, I think people really undervalue the worth of their existing network and uh, um, their network's network. So uh, it, especially if, if you've got um, successful friends, uh, they tend to enjoy helping each other out. 
And putting that, putting that need out into the world is usually answered pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, I'll just give you a, uh, an example. You asked how I, we came about um, the branding and design elements of the platform and how we continue to kind of evolve that. Um, back a year ago when we were looking to develop the branding kit for the company and really understanding stylistically how we wanted to present the aesthetics to the to, to the company within the confines of the uh, you know the tech that we are working with um, you know I put out an email to 12 or so people in my network and said hey I'm looking for a creative director that has experience um, and can, uh, really drive the branding of the company and um, were thrown a few names and one of which came, was coming from Apple and she was really excited to come on part-time and help us out. And, uh, and so after, you know, a few um, vetting and, and seeing some sample work, she's come on to, as our creative director and she's been uh, in that role and, uh, and growing with that role for the last year. So, and, you know, moving into some other examples, we're looking for people to help with the sponsorship and advertising space and, you know, to help uh, build an advisory board for us. And, you know, all of those things basically came from me shooting an email out to a dozen people and listing needs that we had as a company and then vetting the responses and and just trying to be as uh, welcoming and as accommodating as possible. And people are typically really inclined to help you out, especially if they believe in you and or the project. And, um, and luckily everyone wants to be involved in wine in some capacity. So that's been, right. that's been the easy part. <laughs> and so, but like the gaming part of your advertising, like where did you guys come up with that and how did you get that implemented? Uh, so the game, the gaming functions and that gamified reward system was actually built into the platform um, when Skylab approached us about um, testing it and taking it to different markets. So they actually trained us on uh, on how to use the badge reward system and the tracking of different actions and reporting back to wineries and or users um, and or sponsors. So they've done a really good job of um, gamifying that experience and then giving us the resources to report on that and use the um, the analytics and the data that we've collected through that. So I, I actually can't take much credit in that. I basically took in a pre-existing product from them and, um, and then created systems and people internally to report that back out to the partners that we attach to those elements. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, reaching out to people and the willingness to people to help, I think is a major thing. I think, not enough people do that in the entrepreneur world. They, they're they fearful of, of people not responding instead of just saying, hey, most people are willing to help, especially if they're successful themselves, because most likely someone has helped them. So that definitely helps. And I think even as you just said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can I can think of a few people off the top of my head in certain capacities in food and beverage or connections or successful stories that would love opportunities like you're talking about. So, um, you know, a topic for offline and not on the podcast, but something that I'd be, I'd like to 
recommend some people and see if they'd be interested and point them your direction for sure and see what happens. So I think just saying that, you know, people are inclined to help. I mean, it just literally, I was like, oh, I might be able to help and, and do this as well. So to your point, being willing and vulnerable enough to ask and say, I need help, I think is a huge a huge thing for an individual to do within their company. So I want to just point that out to the audience. And yeah. Then- and you know, the other, the other thing kind of to parlay off of that is, um, is there's a number of different aspects of business that are necessary um, that a new entrepreneur might not be comfortable in. And I, you know, I really encourage everyone. There's a company for everything. And there's a reason if they exist for any length of time, there's a reason for it. And it's usually because they're pretty good at their product or service. Um, So, you know, in building this company, I actually um, thought I was pretty good at some things. And then dealing with um, uh, an app on a global nature like this and not, you know, in a microcosm or um, I realized that I even needed to reach out to some some formalized companies and and engage in their services because it was something that was just too big or too consuming or, you know, and we're kind of resource strapped. We bootstrapped together the funding for this. So it's something where we could spend a lot of time and money trying to build it from the ground up internally, but it would be easier just to vet a few companies and engage with one of them to handle it from top to bottom. So that's another piece is really putting together the team that's going to accomplish whatever your goal is and, and determining whether or not you're going to build that goal in house and, and try to maintain that piece or just go find a professional to do it. So tell me a little bit about that in the audience. Cause uh, we often get asked the question by people is how did you are, well, one is how long ago did you come up with this idea? And then the second part of the question is, is then how did you go about raising funds to do it? Yeah, so that has been um, that has been one of the more difficult pieces. So I have um, I've done fundraising in the past for some clients for specific purposes. You know, i.e., they wanted to uh, you know host some event or they wanted to launch some new product or something. So I've, you know, went out to my network and raised funds for that one thing. Um, but doing a company where, you know, like this, where we're raising multiple rounds of funding and we needed access to institutions and all that, that's my first time doing that. So that's kind of been um, a really interesting piece in my Achilles heel in this whole process. And again, I've really relied on my network. Most of our investors have come from our other investors. So uh, finding, really identifying the amount of um, funding that you need to secure and then finding some initial partners in that funding and then um, giving them an opportunity to open open you up to additional people that might be interested. That's how, that how I've taken my approach to it. Uh, the second round of funding, the institutional level, um, that's been a, an area that I had no access to. So I 100% had to rely on... Um, on people in my network that that could provide that access and um, I will I'll make a recommendations out there for anyone who's looking to launch a company that requires multiple rounds of funding I would not do a rolling raise um, and try to bootstrap together any of the rounds 
uh, I would definitely um, do an escrow raise, which basically the difference is, um, for those that don't know, uh, you determine the amount of funding you're going to need for the first round to be successful. And then you put together all of that funding into an escrow account prior to launching your project or spending any money in any way. And then once you've reached a certain threshold of that raise, then you can kind of pull the money out of escrow um, and and launch your company. And the moment you do that, I would start raising for the next round as well, because um, it takes a lot longer than, than expected. And we've definitely had some moments where we uh, ran out of of next investors and been tight for a long time. And then, you know, suddenly we strike gold again and, and we're back in the, in the green. So, um, so yeah, a little advice on the fundraising piece, um, bootstrapping it together and doing a rolling raise format is it's definitely possible. And we've done it for the last year and a half, but it's, it definitely adds unneeded stress to the process. Yeah, so the escrow account, I just want to clarify because I think that's an important topic. You're basically saying you want to make sure that you have enough money in to successfully launch your product to to do the right thing with the money you've raised versus taking it as it comes in and then really not getting anywhere. It, I mean, is that what I'm understanding? Because that way, if you never actually raise the amount of money you you need, you can give back the investment. That's exactly right. So... <clears throat> Yeah, doing doing the uh, static raise with an escrow account, you you essentially you know let's pick a round number. We have to raise half a million dollars. If uh, you you structure a deal with investors that say, hey, we need to raise half a million. Um, if we if we don't hit you know three hundred and fifty k by this date, all your money will be returned. Um, so you essentially don't start operations until you hit that minimum threshold amount. As soon as you do hit that amount, um, you can now pull that mu- those funds out of escrow, execute the contracts, and then begin operations um, and continue, obviously, raising the net rest of the money you need for that round. Um, and it, it's just a much uh, safer and simpler way to do it. Um, and, you know, it's even it's even safer for investors as well because they, they know that there's a good chance they might get their – their money back and, you know, no harm, no foul. They didn't lose anything. They didn't gain anything. They just lost access to that money for a few months. Well, I really like that too, from an investor standpoint, because like you said, it takes away some of the risk because I don't have to worry that, you know, my money's going to start funding something, but you're never going to get the total amount and it'll never be achieved. So by the fact that you just put it into an escrow, it makes it so that, that that risk is taken away. And for you all, it's also nice because you can get an investor. Cause a lot of times you go to an investor and you ask for funds and they're like, well, I'll do it, but first you need to get something else done. And so typically it was, is receiving that amount of money. So if you can say, well, we're putting it here and, you know, with a guarantee that we will get to that number and you're part of it, you know, it kind of makes it easier too to get them to release funds sooner than being like, well, we'll do it after you've done that, you know, because I know that's a comment that comes in a lot. People always want to yeah. mitigate their risk, right? So that's a way to kind of mitigate the risk for them and still bring the funds in for you as a company. So I think it's a really smart uh, approach. Yeah, definitely. And there's even a, a another way to do it, which is just through letters of intent. Um, it's a little riskier for you as the entrepreneur because they could choose, you know, to spend that money elsewhere, but right. not super binding. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but at least it does show commitment from other investors when you're out there seeking funds. So, um, you know, so for new entrepreneurs uh, that, you know, have never raised funds before, you could go that route as well. Um, And then you don't even have to go through the legal process of setting up a company and an escrow account and all that stuff. All right. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I I really want to make note of that for anyone on the call who's trying to raise any amount of money, I think, or on listening to the podcast, because I think that's actually the safest structure, the escrow and and as a backup, the letter of intent. But it makes sense to me 100%. And you learn something new every day. And I think from that standpoint, it's pretty incredible what what you've suggested there as a, a valuable piece of information. Um, so next I want to talk about a little bit, you talk about brand ambassadors and you talk about them. So one is, can you tell the audience what a brand ambassador is? Um, because I don't think everyone knows. And then what is in, how does a brand ambassador benefit from being on your platform and representing you? And how do you benefit from the brand ambassador? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of different, uh, versions of brand ambassadors um out there now um the way we structured it is we needed someone with regional knowledge and some kind of um social media presence um in the wine space that could uh visit events on our behalf that could make relationships with wineries and winemakers um and could um, gain content providers for that region and uh so typically a brand ambassador is someone who it's almost an affiliate merchant for a product and they'll, they're going to set up an affiliate merchant page or a promo code. Um, and they're going to represent that product for us. It was a little more expansive. We needed them to build out a region for us. Um, and, um, and we're, as we go into this next round of funding, we've actually converted that position to a regional coordinator position as they move almost into management. So, uh, we take we took a little different approach. There are companies that that we're actually working with now that specialize in influencer and brand ambassador marketing, and that's the more traditional sense of what a brand ambassador is. Um, someone who typically um, is you know an athletic guy repping a um, a protein shake product or or a you know pretty girl representing a jewelry company, and they typically have other full time jobs and in their um, in their off time they um, market the brand or product on, you know, an Instagram account or some other, or all of their platforms with some kind of, you know, promo go uh, that they then get a percentage of sales back. So that's typically how it works. Um, our, our take on that term was a little bit uh, morph and it's continued to morph to the point where we don't even use that phrase anymore now because it's really a manager type position once we go to market. Okay. Thank you. Um, the next question I have is, so what are some of the failures that you've had that you've learned from that have either turned into successes because you've learned them or you're still trying to figure out um, as you've made your journey in this venture? Yeah, I'd say, well, the you know, the, <clears throat> the most difficult one, just because it's the most stressful that we just touched on was the um, the fundraising elements. Um, and we've, you know, we've learned so much from that process that we actually uh, offer uh, assistance to that now from my consulting company. 
as a, a key area for new entrepreneurs that reach out to us. Um, so I don't know if I would even mention this, but my, um, my consulting company that launched this product in the first place is called the Woniva Group. Um, and that's Woniva, W-O-N-I-E-V-A. And we're, um, we've been an existing global management consulting boutique shop for about 12 years now. And um, we still have that team as well as a number of clients. So we just recently added the fundraising component for, for new entrepreneurs um, as a consulting product, just because of how much we did learn on in that whole process. That we've talked about before. Um, so that piece was a huge learning curve for us and resulted in, you know, a few dark times where you've run out of money and you've already built a team that kind of relies on, uh, you know, on their income for that, that, that can be really successful. Um, and then the other aspects, you know, that we, that we probably ran into kind of failures was, um, was just how the tech portion, um, was going to, how the industry was going to respond to the tech. And we, you know, we specifically set up, um, six months of training, um, live events and, uh, and testing, in the market so that we could learn, you know, where the tech kind of failed and where it was successful and where we thought people might respond really well. And then it ended up getting no usage, you know, internally and, and vice versa. So, um, so that piece, we, we kind of knew we didn't understand and we specifically set up, um, you know, a test period for that so that we could learn what we needed to do both with our tech and with our go-to-market strategy in order to be successful. So where have you found the most successes then in the things that you've done uh, through the platform and the things you've sort of trialed and errored? Yeah. So a lot of it has to do with, um, with us first understanding the tech and the limitations of it. And then, um, understanding how massively important the navigation experience for the user is on any platform. So one of the things that, um, that I wasn't aware of just because, you know, I've never built an app before and that's not my specialty was uh, user navigating between different la- layers of the platform and how intuitive that navigation is is so massive in the importance of the success of the platform. We have, in fact, we have an entire elements of our app that we've just turned off because the navigation piece is so clunky in nature that it, um, it makes the element itself almost irrelevant because the user can't get, get to it or they can't get back from it. So, um, so that piece was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a failure. It's a huge learning moment where we've got to, build that tech out further before we feel comfortable um, having it in the platform. The other pieces that have been really big wins for us are the, the gamified elements. People love seeing themselves on podiums and winning prizes. And we've gotten, um, you know, we have people on our, on our uh, platform currently that have um, streaks of 280 days, um, 254 days, 184 days, 113 days, so those are massive daily active streaks um, that fly in the face of any other app that's out there, um, you know, at any level. So it's literally even the Pokemon of wine. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and so, I mean, what have you guys, I mean, I know you mentioned social media in terms of pushing your platform, but do you guys go to any print or anything like the wine spectator? Or, I mean, how else are people supposed to find you? Yeah. So, um, we, early on, we actually brought on a PR coordinator. Um, I just feel like, uh, traditional PR and communications is, is such an easy way to get your message out there and it's, uh, builds so much loyalty. Um, so our PR department has been one of the longest existing departments there is and they sent out a press release almost weekly. Uh, and then, you know, we hope that those are picked up and we've actually, um, we've gotten a lot broader, uh, media outlets picking up our press recently. Um, but you know, I told, I told Rachel and the team that, you know, we will, we'll do any press that wants to talk about our, our app. And we've done, we've done podcasts where I think we were the second episode and there are probably four people listening and we've done, you know, interviews and, and public, publications that have a daily reach of 80,000 eyeballs. So, and everything in between. Um, but I, I love the PR aspect to it. I think that's a major element of getting something like this out into the world. Um, and I, we're going to continue tacking on elements like that, including influencer marketing. Um, and then potentially and, and down the road when we launch uh, at scale, we'll do, you know, some paid advertising in a wine spectator or food and wine magazine, stuff like that as well. And what about things like cross marketing? When someone is a subscriber um, to be on your platform, like, do you give them a litany of stuff or logos or whatnot for them to use in their social media? So they too encouraging them to be like, Hey, push your people here too, so they can find you. So are you getting cross marketing from every person who is subscribing or is posting their comp their winery on there? Yeah. So we're trying to do that. Um, definitely with the wineries, they're encouraged to, you know, put that out into all their platforms. Um, and then we also have, a number of different um, Instagram influencers in the food, wine, and travel space that we feature on our app. Mm -hmm. And obviously once, you know, once we um, get their article up on our platform, we post about it on our social. And then we also encourage them, you know, to do the same for their followers as well. And that's, that's how we've had a lot of success in that realm. I think with them posting about a new article they're featured in that's only available on, the My Wine Study app, you know, go download and read it today. So, um, so yeah, we're definitely trying to utilize all aspects of, of social and, you know, influencers and, and companies that we work with to get the message out there. Right. And then, I mean, just hearing your story, it's, I mean, I'm really impressed with how much has been accomplished in this amount of time. And so what's kind of your vision going out into the future? Like, do you have any milestones that you're like, at this point, I want a certain something, um, do you have some tangible goals you can let us know about? Yeah, we've got some really firm goals that, um, that we're excited about trying to achieve. Uh, uh, the main one is we're in discussions with half a dozen, uh, VC firms right now to come in and fund this next round. Um, we're looking to raise three and a half million dollars to go to market. Um, we, we accomplished a big goal, um, back in November, we, um, raised our first round at $5 million pre-money valuation. Um, we 
we've almost wrapped up that round. We went and got a third party valuation back in November so that we would have kind of a benchmark for this next round. And we got back a $16 million valuation from them. So that was pretty exciting. We, you know, at that point we had essentially tripled our initial investors money on paper. Congratulations. Um, I know, you know, those things need, you need to take a moment to really like savor that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was really exciting to get that back. Um, you know, we've, we, and then to get it back, you know, back in November and then not needing to raise our second round until now, you know, a lot has been accomplished since then. Um, so we're, we're hoping to raise this second round with the institutional level partners at a $20 million pre-money valuation and um, really provide some value back to um, our initial investors and, you know, get that capital in the door to go to market. So that's a big thing that I'm focusing on personally. Um, and, you know, I thought I was starting an, an app company and I, what I've spent most of my time doing is actually raising money and talking <laughs> to investors. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then from a, from a company standpoint, um, we have a goal of hitting 150,000 users by the end of 2019 um, we want to hit 9,000 winery listings in our places directory, which is that, um, you know, Yelp style, um, in-app winery directory that we talked about earlier. Um, so we do have some firm milestones in terms of winery and user acquisition. Um, and then, you know, we, we have some revenue milestones as well, but realistically it's, um, the focus right now is really on, um, winery and user acquisitions because, uh, until we get to those eyeballs or those wineries attached to the project, the, you know, the sponsorship and ad revenue is going to be pretty small. So that's our main focus now. And then we can turn our sites to revenue once we hit those numbers. So can you kind of tie together for us? So this whole venture capital and being a basically a technology based company, I mean, so when you built your platform, obviously to raise money, you're going to have to kind of prove your stats. So is that innate anyway in your platform or is that something you had to design in so that you could track what was actually happening? So then you could turn it around to be able to illustrate what was actually happening on your platform to help you go out and get these funds that you're needing. Yeah, we definitely had to prove viability early on. Um, so we went out and I partnered with a um, gal that I went to high school with. Her name's Katie Schaefer, and she launched the Feast It Forward Network up in Napa Valley. She was the former um, Napa Valley Film Festival hostess for a few years. And um, she had a massive network in Napa, still does, obviously. And so she was one of my first phone calls, partnered with her early on to get a bunch of wineries on board in Napa, um, restaurants, you know, et cetera, to test the product and to provide some um, context in the app. That was really important early on. And then like you alluded to, um, we have a, we have a huge um, data warehouse and analytics reporting um, portion to the app where you know, our wineries and our, um, our sponsors and even our users can, can look at their stats. And that's one of the cool things is, you know, not only can users see, that they have been on the app for, you know, 89 days and they can go into their badges and they can see that they've uh, checked into a winery 32 times and et cetera, et cetera. But then beyond that, we've got a number of different 
um, data points that we can report back to our institutional level partners, you know, i.e. our wineries, our sponsors, and of course, uh, our um, investors. Right. You know, I think it's really cool how you just said that they can see all of that. I mean, I remember it's maybe even been almost a decade ago that Vail Resorts, um, that they had that and literally would tell you how many runs you had skied and how many vertical feet and which different, you know, of their uh, resorts you had been to. And so that's really cool that you have brought that through to this uh, platform. It's a kind of a fun thing to go back and look at and uh, take you down memory lane. So I think that's a really neat component. Yeah, definitely. And the users, you know, that's part of the gamified piece to the platform that the users really engage with. So the ones that get hooked to winning the badges and, and stacking their, uh, their streaks on the podiums are, are definitely our most uh, favorite users on the app. That's for sure. So just in theory, you were mentioning people can win little things and they, you know, not just little badges and not just the virtual high five, but, you know, is there any component of the guy who's been on there for 278 days consecutively that he's trying to win something? <laughs> is he just playing, is he just gaming it? Or is that even a possibility? Yeah, definitely. So we have, um, we have the opportunity to sponsor just so many levels of, of, of user interaction and we've got some really cool early on partners that really believe in what we're doing as well, which has been nice. Um, you know, just as an example, we have a partnership with Wink, which they're a wine club membership. They just sold their 10 millionth uh, bottle of wine a couple months ago. And uh, they have <clears throat> they have a number of different badges in that the app, everything from got on the app three days in a row to tracked um, 40 different and um they were they reward um our users with massive discounts on their first few months of wine club membership on their platform um we've got a a partnership with fairfield inn and suites in temecula wine country um where if someone completes the uh fun night out action and tracks that uh you know i think it's five times um, they win the Fairfield Inn in and Suites Temecula Wine Country badge um, that carries with it uh, discounted stays there. And then, you know, the longevity streaks you're talking about, we uh, we grant longevity streak badge to um, to our longest advertising partners. So kind of a fun tie in there where um, the longer you advertise with us, the more badges you get and you're rewarding, you know, the people that have, that are most loyal to the app also. So um, so that's been really fun with our sponsorship team to, you know, figure out kind of nuanced ways to uh, reward both uh, the sponsors and the users. Well, Sean, thank you so much for sharing all that with you. And I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have things going on, but I definitely know we have a lot more questions. So we're, we'll stockpile them and definitely get you back on the show because we want to hear how this all proceeds over the next eight to 10 months and how you guys have grown and, and definitely the world adventures of wine and how you guys are growing on a global scale. Because I think it's so exciting to hear that a platform like yours based in San Diego, California, can can have a global reach so quickly and 
touch people all around the world. And not only that, people can who have interest in travel and in wine can now use one app to sort of take their wine adventures with them everywhere they go and then be a little competitive about it with the gaming and get badges for it, which which make it sort of fun. It's sort of the family pictures um, meets the tro- family trophies. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think anyone who's interested, please go online and, and look up mywinesociety.com because it definitely sounds interesting to me as a, a person that kind of likes the gaming idea and the badges and, and the points and the things that happen in games and, and the rewards and the dopamine spikes. So um, thank you again, Sean, for being on. Yeah, thank you guys, and I uh, hope everyone goes and downloads the app. It's available on both stores, My Wine Society. And then obviously, you know, anyone can contact us through social or, or the web. Awesome. And anyone who likes what they've heard on the episode um, or is, has friends that are interested in wine mm-hmm. or, or think this app, uh, My Wine Society, might appeal to them, please share this with your friends and your family, and please share what we're doing on Just in the Food Entrepreneurs as well. Uh, we're trying to get the word out there and help educate people through uh, other entrepreneurs and real life experiences. So thank you to the audience for listening in. Uh, I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm the host. I have Deborah Micus, my co-host here, and I thank her for being on the show. And this is Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs podcast, and everyone have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.